if you will be aware, on these Sunday evenings, we have been looking together at 1 Timothy, and we arrive tonight at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want you to keep in mind a very important thing about this book that we have stressed all the way through the series. And like many things that we repeat, it's because it is worth repeating. It's worth understanding and knowing. This is the beauty of this book that we read together. This is the the wonderful thing about this particular letter that we have taken our time to study together over these weeks and now indeed these months, that what we're reading here, this letter is both personal and prophetic. That's to say, it is a letter that one person writes to another with that kind of intimacy with which you may contact people that you know. But beyond that, it is also a letter that is prophetic, that in the mystery of God inspiring Paul's Word by His Holy Spirit, that what is written here we receive tonight as God's Word to us, and we receive that with great confidence. And so, it transforms the way in which we approach this book that is before us in this passage that we think about tonight. And if you're heading away over the next few weeks, I hope that you have a good time. We hope, God willing, to eventually end up at the North Coast um, in just over a week's time. And at this time of the year, if you walk around the beaches up at Port Rush, and Port Stewart, you will see at various locations the RNLI and their lifeguards in action. And the advice is that if you've got young children or you've got young people, that you get them to to swim and to paddle and to do all of the kind of activities on the sea within the flags where there is that protection given. So that up around Port Rush, there is a, a lifeguard station at the West Strand And then there are the two positions on the East Strand down at the White Rocks and in at the town as well. But a few years ago, I was out for a walk down through Port Rush, and it was in the afternoon, and I was walking down along the promenade at the West Strand. And inevitably, you notice things. Things catch your attention, especially if you hear someone raising their voice. And there were two girls, quite young girls, out on paddle boards, out just beyond the beach, and there was a woman standing right at the water's edge shouting at them and shouting instructions and saying, don't go any further, come back this way. And it was pretty persistent and pretty loud, don't go any further. And then when I was coming back about 10 minutes later, they were all heading up to the car with wetsuits and all of the gear. And What I presumed was that this woman was the mother of at least one of those girls. It wasn't just a stranger randomly shouting out at people on the sea. No, that understanding transforms what's going on. It was someone who had a deep love for the people out on the ocean, shouting instructions, giving warnings out of love. And that's what we see going on here in this letter. 
It's those that we love most, that we will be most concerned about, and who we will be quickest to warn. And we see that in Paul's letter to Timothy. So, let's remember the nature of the relationship that existed between Paul and this co-worker in the gospel, Timothy. While Timothy was a fellow preacher and a co-worker, he was much, much more. You see the warmth and the depth of the relationship back at the beginning of this letter. If you look back in chapter 1, verse 2, he says to Timothy that you are my true son in the faith. We're more accustomed to people describing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but there is a special relationship here. Timothy, you are my son, my true son in the faith. And then at the beginning of the next letter in 2 Timothy 1 verse 4, there is the depth of this relationship so that he says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. That's what Timothy does to Paul. That's the impact that he has on Paul's life. Timothy's presence with him is a source of true joy. And so, Paul's great love for Timothy leads him to issue warnings about many things. And we've thought about some of those warnings as we've worked our way through this letter. There have been warnings to Timothy about his own walk with the Lord and the pitfalls that he can fall into both as a disciple and then more specifically as a preacher of the gospel, as someone who has been called to be a man of God who proclaims His Word to others. There have been warnings about some of the challenges that Timothy will encounter in ministry, challenges that those of us in ministry continue to encounter today. And then there have been warnings that are specific to the situation that Timothy finds himself in. There are dangers within this particular fellowship, and we'll think more about it and its background in a moment, but the biggest danger of all facing Timothy where he is currently ministering is the danger of false teaching, and it's to that that we return tonight. So that while the title in the NIV at the beginning of this passage is love of money, love of money is a consequence. It is an outcome of the false teaching that is prevalent in this particular congregation. We are quickest to warn the people that we love. And remember Timothy's job. It was a difficult one. Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. In some ways, he was a troubleshooter. He was a trusted co-worker of Paul who had been sent because of who he was and the particular abilities that he had. And he was sent to this church in Ephesus, which was a church that Paul was well acquainted with. It was a church that he loved, a church that he had helped to establish through the preaching of the gospel in that city. And the best way in which Paul and Timothy could love this church in Ephesus was to warn it. But just as when people warn us in our life, 
that can be something that we don't necessarily want to hear. And for that reason, Timothy needs to be a firm and a courageous Bible teacher. He doesn't just need eloquence and wisdom and understanding of God's Word. He needs guts. This task requires courage. So that Paul says to him, if you look in chapter 6 at verse 2, these are the things you are to teach and urge on them, as the NIV puts it. But the verb really means to insist. There is great strength in that phrase and in that verb in the original language. Insist on this. And among scholars of this book, there's a fair bit of debate about this verse. What are the, the, the things that Paul is talking about here? Is it what has already come, what he's been previously teaching, or is it about what he is about to say to Timothy, the, the passage that we will look at tonight? Well, when we look at this particular verse here, verse 2, you see that this is one of five similar instructions from Paul to Timothy in the second half of the letter. And we can certainly assume that what was ought to be taught by Timothy includes the passage that we're considering tonight. So, what are the warnings that Paul gives to Timothy and through Timothy to the believers in Ephesus? Well, first of all, Paul warns Timothy of those who will give him trouble. He warns about troublemakers. And there's something here of key importance for us tonight, and that is that we understand the source of such trouble within the church of Jesus Christ, that such trouble always starts with a deviation from the truth of God's Word. That is the source of the trouble that we face in the life of the church. I remember once trying to find the source of the ban, that mighty river that eventually flows out at the, at the ban mouth into the sea at Coleraine or at Castle Rock. But the source is just a trickle. And in the mist, somewhere down near the Dramara Hills, in towards the Mourns, we walked around in circles trying to find this source. It's difficult to see. And yet its impact, the further and further you go along the ban, is very obvious to see. And in very subtle ways, in very subtle deviations from God's Word and the truth of God's Word, great trouble can come. And it's what Paul is quick to warn Timothy of here in chapter 6 and verse 3. He says to him, and we're not going to, to look at the second part of this verse or the consequences, but just look at how he sets this up. First of all, he says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound 
instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching. That's the origin of it all. And once again, we, we understand from this passage that conduct and belief go hand in hand. And that's why doctrine is really important. And yet within our churches, we tend to relegate the importance of doctrine. And we kind of think people who are into doctrine and concerned about doctrine are maybe the, the kind of slightly odd people, the booky kind of people. And we sometimes imagine that, well, the rest of us, we're getting on with the work. We're just getting stuck in. We're not in our ivory towers. You hear people use that expression, you know, I'm not in some kind of ivory tower. I'm in the real world serving Jesus day by day. And there's an underlying criticism where we belittle doctrine. We criticize those who, who make much of it. And yet what we get to see here is that everything unravels when someone does not listen to and obey the teachings of Christ and God's Word. So in the case of these false teachers that Paul yet again talks about to Timothy here in chapter 6, well, what are the traits of that person who does not agree with Scripture and who chooses to teach a false gospel, a gospel other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, as you scan down through verses 4 to 6, you see the features of such a person. Such a person is, first of all, conceited. And what that really means, they are people who think they know it all, but the reality is they know absolutely nothing or nothing of importance. We get to see this online. People who think that they know it all and who introduce all kinds of weird and wonderful ideas. And when you think about it, the arrogance, the arrogance of thinking that we know better than God that somehow we have a superior understanding. I saw a thing that a Christian, a good Christian friend of mine, shared for, I believe, the right reasons over the course of this week. It was a church in America, and it was a confession of their faith. It was not the Apostles' Creed, it was called the Sparkle Creed. And I wouldn't repeat it here tonight because of its blasphemy, because of its absolute departure from Scripture and from the doctrines that we hold dear as believers in Christ. It was a church that was seeking to promote LGBT issues. And so I'd come up with a creed that would fit around its approach. It was truly horrific. And it's a great reminder that when we begin to depart from the truths of Scripture, 
people, that's where we can end up. That's where a church can end up. It's not a church. And conceit is a logical result of rejecting the gospel. Because in rejecting the gospel, ultimately, you are rejecting your need of Christ. You're rejecting that message that only He can get us right with God. You're putting confidence in yourself rather than in Him. So it's no surprise that conceit is a feature of those who depart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then Paul continues that such people, such false teachers, have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. Again, we see this so much online. And sometimes you get drawn into reading through these threads and these debates and these discussions about things that are really not of great consequence. But we also see this in the real world, physically, among one another within the church. And Scripture would say that we should be very wary of people who always pick arguments. Some people delight in that. Some people wear that as a badge of honor. You know, I'm just a a combative person. I like to, to have a good debate, and I like to get into a bit of a scrap. We should be very wary of people who are always quick to criticize, who question absolutely everything, who nitpick. Are you a nitpicker? People who think that they are right and that everyone else is wrong. And such an approach undermines the body of Christ. Let me repeat that. It weakens. It undermines the body of Christ, the church for which God sent His Son, the church for which the Lord Jesus gave His life. And what does all of this lead to? We'll look at verse 4. And this is what it results in as Paul writes to Timothy, it results in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind. Now, do we disagree within the church of Jesus Christ? Yes, of course we do. And sometimes we need to contend for things of gospel importance. But be on your guard against those who want to cause discord, those who contribute to envy and strife and malicious talk, where there's constant friction between people of corrupt mind. And leaders, elders here tonight, be prepared to take on such people if necessary for that is a combat. That is a fight that is required. But one further thing that links into the next part of the passage and the other thing that Paul warns about here in chapter 6, such false teachers have money on their mind. 
Verse 5, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. For them, it is all about here and now. It's all about how they can use the appearance of godliness to get ahead and gain. And we see this in in its extreme in the prosperity gospel that is proclaimed by some, if you tune into some of those God TV channels. But we see this in more subtle ways as well. And we need to be careful in our own lives that we do not go down this road. And so it brings us to the other warning that Paul issues to Timothy in this passage. And it's a warning about the love of money. He says that is a way in which you can get yourself into trouble. Look at verse 6. In contrast to these false teachers and their view about finances and financial gain, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We have thought a lot about that word godliness all the way through this series, and we have discovered that godliness is actually something that comes about apart from us. It comes through the gospel. It comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also worth thinking about contentment. What does contentment look like in the life of a believer? How quickly we can become discontented, even over this week as I was preparing this passage, at other times, watching the news, listening to debates about pay and what people were wanting to get paid, and then the salaries come up on the screen that they actually get paid. And I find myself falling into that, that envy and that discontentment. What, they get paid that? And, and this is what I get paid? And, and we fall so quickly into that trap where we, we can become consumed with money and material things, which is always a gateway to many sins and a real sorrow. So verse 10, and maybe one of the most misquoted verses in Scripture, often quoted as money being the root of evil, but you'll see that precisely there it is in verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Our desire, our appetite, our hunger for money and material things and financial gain is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So, for the people in Ephesus, there were some who had taken this to it's absolute extreme. It's what we were singing about in that hymn, that for them, they had nailed, they had attached to God's throne material things that they held up alongside or put ahead of God as the idols of their life. And I ask you tonight as I am compelled to ask myself, are you in danger? We know that ultimately this pursuit is a pointless one because Paul gets to the nub of things back in verse 7. He puts it very starkly. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Paul brings us face to face with a different timetable. He brings us face to face with eternity. And is that the timetable you're living by? Is that the timetable that frames how you approach your life and material things? But as we come towards the end tonight, one final thing to observe and to say, and that is the absolute relevance and truthfulness of God's Word. Sometimes people imagine the Bible to be abstract. Oh, that book, the Bible, it's not really to do with the real world and living in the real world. Well, think about our churches. Think about this congregation. Think about your family and think about your own life. And Paul could have written this letter to you last night. Because we know we know it in this congregation and in the congregations represented here tonight that where people gather, there will always be some who want to make trouble. We see that. We know that. We understand that. And we know that through our lives, we will always have to be alert to that great danger of loving money and the trouble that it can lead to the spiritual harm that it can result in. So, by God's grace, with the help of His Holy Spirit, let's heed these warnings and let's fix our eyes on Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And we're going to make our response